70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. KBS World Radio. Happy 70th birthday! I certainly have not been with KBS World Radio for 70 years, but I remember the first time I tuned into my very first KBS World Radio program. It was 2010, which was 13 years ago. I don't remember who the host was at the time for K-pop Connection, but the DJ read my first message ever on air, and I ended up winning a prize. Back then, we did not have social media the way we do now. Luckily, now we get to leave messages on the various programs' social media pages. I've shared so many stories and moments with former DJ Angie Park on K-Pop Connection, whom I get to call Nuna now. Of course, now I get to call DJ Brian Hyung as well. And whenever I feel down or lack energy, Park Jung-hyun Nuna's encouraging words on One Fine Day with Lena Park recharges me with positive energy. Thank you to all the staff and radio hosts for building a bridge to connect Korea with the rest of the world. KBS World Radio, sing you chukahamnida. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Thursday the 5th of October and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Hon Jang-won. South Korea has beaten Japan in the Asian Games baseball, keeping alive their hopes of reaching the final. Meanwhile, the men's football team did reach their final after beating Uzbekistan. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Travis King, the American soldier who fled to North Korea in July, is back in the US after Pyongyang released him back to US custody in China last week. For our in-depth today, we'll discuss what happened and the possible implications for US and North Korea relations. And coming up for Explore Korea, we'll be learning all about the Gyeongju Shilla Cultural Festival. Let's begin Korea 24. The South Korean baseball team defeated perennial rivals Japan at the Asian Games on Thursday, keeping alive their hopes of another gold medal. If they do make it to the final, it will be a chance for their fourth consecutive win at the Asiads. For more on this story and other headlines from today, I'm joined by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Chair. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. Yes, in any sport, Korea versus Japan uh, is a match to watch. And this was a no different, especially because Korea's hopes of reaching the final was hanging by a thread. And they haven't had a good record against Japan in recent years. It ended up being a tense game with no runs produced until late into the innings. But it was a crucial win in the Super Round, right? 
Right. We thought we'd be invincible, considering how we've had a good track record in the past in international games, including the Asian Games for baseball. But uh, apparently, we need some tuning up there. And as you mentioned, Korea against Japan is always uh, the closest neighbor and the fiercest rivals. Always exciting to watch. The South Korean men's baseball team squeezed out a two-zip victory over Japan on Thursday. Under the guidance of manager Yu Jung-il, the team will have to improve their offense as they manage just two runs against a Japanese team reportedly consists of amateur players. Thursday's Super Round game kicked off at the Shaoxing Baseball Stadium with both teams in a must-win situation. Korea boasted some of the top young baseball stars playing in the country's pro league. Japan fielded amateurs with the potential to play professionally over there. Lotte Giants pitcher Park Seung silenced the Japanese offense for six innings, striking out nine, giving up just two hits. Japan starting pitcher Shuichiro Kayo dominated the Korean batters for five and two-third innings, giving up just a run while striking out eight. Kyum Hero's infielder Kim Hae-sung broke the silence in the sixth with a leadoff double, moving to third thanks to a sacrifice bunt by SSG Landers Choi Ji-hun. Noshiwan followed with an RBI sacrifice fly to give South Korea and the game's first run. No would help add the game's second run in the eighth if Chinese Taipei defeats China later on Thursday and South Korea defeats China on Friday 1 p.m. in the final Super Round game, South Korea will move on to the finals to play in the gold medal games. Right, so it's not in South Korea's hands, unfortunately. But in the meantime, uh, South Korea has the bragging rights uh, over Japan for now. Uh, staying with the Asian Games, the South Korea men's football team reached their final. Uh, so they've secured a place in their final after they defeated Uzbekistan uh, on Wednesday. Can you tell us more? Yes, it was a 2-1 victory for Korea in the HSC Stadium in Hangzhou on Wednesday, mark- marking their third consecutive Asia football final there. A 2002 World Cup legend Hwang Sonong is the man behind the uh, the driver's seat, I suppose. The man at the helm, the manager leading the charge. Korea faces a familiar foe for the second consecutive final against Japan on Saturday. Chung mm. uh, Woo-young scores the net around the fourth minute. VFB Stuttgart midfielder is the leading scorer in the competition with seven goals already. Uzbekistan answer with a free kick from Jasurbek Jalolidinov 21 minutes later. Uh, the South Korean forward did it again, though, in the 38th minute. It was not an easy match, not a clean match, uh, as Uzbekistan squad displayed some poor sportsmanship, perhaps fueled by desperation, understandably, including elbows and tackles from the back, leaving several Korean players limping or hobbling to the ground. Uh, and among them was a superstar named Lee Gang-in, so it was a very concerning moment for a team overseas invested in him heavily. Mm. In the second half, uh, Abdurrahman Buryev picked up a second yellow card in the 74th minute, leaving Uzbekistan to have only 10 men there out there. A team Korea will face Japan for the second straight time to bag its third consecutive Asian Games football title on Saturday, 9 p.m. Korea time. South Korea stormed through the tournament with a 9-zip demolition of Kuwait, 4-0 win over Thailand, and a 3-0 win over Bahrain to top Group B. And we beat Kyrgyzstan 5-1 in the round of 16, and China 2 Nothing in the quarterfinals. Korea racked up 25 goals while conceding just two over the last six matches. And Korea's hoping for a repeat of the 2018 final, beating Japan for not just goal, but also, most importantly for some players, mandatory military service exemption. Mm. And namely, it's important for stars like Paris Saint-Germain playmaker Lee Gang in there. If you look back, the uniquely South Korean bonus has benefited Tottenham Hotspur for Sonung Min greatly. We get to see two more years of him out there uh, shining in the spotlight uh, thanks to the Asian Games uh, uh, heroics in the past. 
Right, so once again, another South Korea-Japan matchup in the football. Uh, let's continue on now to the other headlines. We are, in fact, sticking with South Korea-Japan relations, but to more grave matters. Uh, Japan's Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO, has begun the second round of discharge of wastewater from the quake-crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant. So can you update us on this situation? Yes, the release running from Thursday to October 23rd is expected to involve about the same volume of water as the first round from late August to mid-September, around 7,800 tons or around 460 tons daily. TEPCO will release the Alps-treated water, which is then diluted with seawater, into the ocean through a one-kilometer-long sea tunnel. The density of tritium, which cannot be removed through Alps, was measured at a maximum 87 becquerels per liter on Wednesday, below the standard of 1,500 becquerels per liter. The Japanese government and TEPCO said regular analysis of tritium density from samples from seawater and fish following the discharge have not raised any red flags so far. Meanwhile, the South Korean government has vowed to put in the very best efforts towards inspecting the second, ra- second release of the contaminated water from the uh, nuclear power plant so that the move won't affect the health and safety of the South Korean people. That's right. The first vice minister for government policy and coordination, Park Woo-yeon, revealed the government pledge on Thursday at a daily government briefing on Japan's discharge, saying a team of South Korean experts are currently monitoring data on the release. On TEPCO confirming that the, pla- the paint on parts of a dilution facility at Fukushima plant have become swollen following the first round of wastewater discharge, Park said the bulges do not pose a problem to the discharge efforts. TEPCO said on Wednesday there are no cracks in the paint and the tank's waterproof function is not jeopardized and there will be no impact on the second round release. Park said South Korean experts will further inspect the paint at four points. Starting next week, the government briefing on Japan's water release will be held twice a week. In other news, the confirmation hearing for Yuin Chon, the nominee for Minister of Culture, Sports and Tourism, was held today. And during the hearing, he called for a proactive response to the fast-changing culture and arts industry and accelerated market competition amid the rapid growth of over-the-top or OTT services. Can you tell us more? At a parliamentary confirmation hearing on Thursday, you pledged to put forth a new strategy to help domestic cultural content gain global competitiveness, calling for a re-established policy framework for the sector. The nominee promised to reevaluate existing policies to create an innovative and creative environment where artists can dare to make a leap while narrowing the cultural gap between classes and regions across the country. Uh, you It's, of course, famously known for being a, a dedicated stage and film and TV actor. Uh, you pledged to restore fairness in the sports industry by dismantling outdated practices while vowing to thoroughly prepare for the 2024 Kangwon Winter Youth Olympics to attract 20 million foreign tourists next year. A confirmation hearing for General Equality Minister nominee Kim Hang was also held on Thursday. She pledged to expand protection for women, families and youths as long as the ministry remains in place. The nominee promised to establish a family policy that does not exclude anyone in society, as well as efforts to ease child-rearing burden. She also mentioned greater protection for youths from harmful factors such as digital gambling and to establish a safety and support system for victims of five major crimes, including sexual crimes, domestic abuse and stalking. And that's why we wrap up our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me.
The American soldier Travis King, who fled to North Korea from South Korea in July, is now back in U.S. custody. That's after Pyongyang expelled him to China last week. He had illegally crossed the border into the north while on a tour of the southern side of the inter-Korean truce village. At the time, he was facing the prospect of a dishonorable discharge in the U.S. after he had served nearly two months in a South Korean prison for assault. Some have viewed Pyongyang's decision to release Travis King as a sign that North Korea is looking to thaw tensions with the U.S., but other experts are saying nothing is expected to change. To discuss this situation, we have two guests joining us on the line today. First, we have Donald Kirk, a veteran journalist who's been covering Korean affairs for over 35 years. Mr Kirk, hello and thank you for your time today. Good to be with you. And we also have James Fretwell, an analyst at NK News, which is an online media outlet covering North Korea-related developments. Mr Fretwell, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks very much for having me. Let us start with you, Mr. Fretwell, because we spoke to you last week about your report that North Korea could look to expel Travis King to a third country. And that theory turned out to be correct. In fact, the news broke just as we were wrapping up that interview that Pyongyang had decided to expel King. So can we pick up from where we left off? Can you summarise for us what has happened since we last spoke? Sure thing. So on Wednesday last week, North Korea announced that they would expel Travis King after uh, he reportedly confessed that he illegally intruded into North Korean territory. Those are the words of the, uh, of the DPRK uh, statement. Um, they also reiterated uh, what they previously said around a month beforehand, that King had crossed over into North Korea during his uh, tour of Panmunjom in July um, because he uh, harboured ill feeling against inhuman maltreatment, North Korea said, and also uh, racial discrimination within the U.S. Army. Um, To secure King from North Korea, Sweden actually stepped in on America's behalf since Washington doesn't actually have diplomatic relations with Pyongyang. Uh, The U.S. apparently did try to reach out to North Korea about King, but North Korea rejected uh, the American approaches, and, yeah, they spoke to Sweden instead. North Korea then sent King uh, after negotiating with Sweden across its northern border, where he was received by U.S. Ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, in Dandong. He was then flown from Dandong to Shenyang, and then from China uh, to Osan, Air Force Base in South Korea before then being sent to Texas for a reintegration program. And he reportedly arrived in San Antonio in the early hours of Thursday morning U.S. time last week. Now, in Texas, King is going to uh, undergo medical screenings. He's going to meet professionals to assess his emotional and mental health. Uh, And he's going to get debriefed by the American military about what happened when he was in North Korea. King could uh, face punishment for his, for his actions by the U.S. military, but um, at the moment it seems that they're going to just be focused on this reintegration process for the time being. 
Mr. Kirk, turning to you now, the story of King fleeing over the border to North Korea was a stunning one, uh, but his release was also uh, quite surprising, I think it would be fair to say. Uh, what did you make of this decision by Pyongyang? Why do you think North Korea decided to release him to U.S. custody? Well, that is the hard question to answer. <laughs> it, co- it goes quite beyond the factual uh, details. Uh, for one thing, I don't think he, he was very useful to, to, to them. Uh, 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 they could have kept him much longer, even if he wasn't useful. They certainly have done that with other uh, American soldiers in earlier years. Uh, but uh, I think they pretty well exhausted his knowledge of anything, of whatever he had to tell them. And uh, they made a little propaganda uh, use out of it by saying that he had uh, uh, charged the military with discrimination. Uh, they put that out in their statement. Uh, uh, but but I also think that they kind of wanted to get rid of him before uh, going into much more serious uh, stuff about their dealings with uh, Russia and about uh, Kim Jong-un's plans or hopes or maybe fantasies for vastly increasing his nuclear program. So they wanted to get that problem out of the way. Uh, so you, you get those two factors there. And also they didn't want to uh, a repetition of the terrible ordeal uh, that that some uh, prisoners have uh, have undergone. Uh, you know, they didn't want uh, stories of his uh, of his uh, terrible treatment. They didn't want anything to happen to him that could be used as propaganda against them. So they they simply got rid of this problem. Uh, I don't think, however, that that this uh, decision on North Korea's part represents a thaw Mm. uh, in uh, in relations. Right. Uh, We'll get to that in a bit more uh, in just a minute. But Mr. Fretwell, why China? Why do you think North Korea chose uh, not to repatriate him via the way he came to South Korea via the Truce Village? I think basically North Korea's decision not to return King uh, through the inter-Korean border, it really reflects the poor state, uh, not just of inter-Korean relations, obviously, but also relations with the United States since the collapse of talks in 2019. Uh, Relations have been particularly bad over the past year or so, too, with uh, North Korea conducting an incredible amount of missile tests and the U.S. and South Korea responding by tightening their military cooperation, uh, both bilaterally and trilaterally with Japan and all the uh, joint military drills that have been going on. Uh, Of course, it would have been much easier just to send King back through Panmunjom, uh, but instead King went all the way up north to China and then all the way back from China to South Korea before being sent to the U.S. So I think that if relations uh, with the U.S. and with South Korea were better, then, you know, maybe North Korea would have responded to the U.S.'s outreach uh, to negotiate King's return, and uh, they probably would have been more open to uh, sending him back directly across the border with South Korea. Now, Mr. Kirk, as I mentioned at the start, there has been a lot of speculation about North Korea's intentions over this decision, uh, trying to read between the lines of what this action means, uh, especially when it comes to US-North Korea relations. So, Mr. Kirk, what do you think? How do you think this decision will affect US-North Korea relations? I'm not sure it will have any uh, real effect. Uh, the, the U.S. has been making some quite uh, severe statements and warnings about 
the implications of North Korea giving uh, uh, or selling arms to the Russians and also about the, the possibility of uh, increasing their nuclear activities, maybe even staging another nuclear test, which would be their seventh nuclear test, their first since uh, September 2017. Uh, so I, I, I'm not I, I don't think that we're going to see any immediate uh, value in terms of certainly in terms of a softening of relations or in terms of a shift in relations because of the return of uh, of private king uh this problem is out of the way they they north korea has gotten rid of this problem uh and i think that's done i think that's history i think that uh, we're still going to see the very severe relations between uh the uh, U.S. and North Korea and between North Korea and the uh, government the, of South Korea uh, and, and Japan. Uh, and I think that uh, I'm not optimistic about the immediate future, although in, in the mid-range or longer-range future, you never know. Mr. Fretwell, same question to you. Where do you think this incident uh, leaves U.S.-North Korea relations? Uh, I would say I, I, I pretty much have to agree with Mr. Kirk on this one. I don't think North Korea's decision to return King is going to impact relations with the U.S. whatsoever, really. Uh, North Korea probably didn't return King as part of some wider diplomatic outreach, um, but likely because Mr. Kirk said uh, they, they you know, might have deemed that they got all the propaganda or intelligence value out of him. Uh, or, you know, even because their experience is monitoring and housing U.S. soldiers uh, that defected during the Cold War, um, that might have shown that uh, North Korea, that maybe it just wasn't worth the trouble of, um, of keeping King in the long term. Um, King might also have been kicked out by North Korea just because um, North Korea doesn't want to, uh, doesn't want to encourage other um, non-North Koreans from thinking that they're going to be warmly received if they enter uh, North Korea without Pyongyang's knowledge. You know, we've got to remember that in all these statements, uh, in the two statements that North Korea released on King, they, North Korea really stressed that um, King illegally intruded into North Korea. North Korea is, of course, a very secret, secretive country, and it doesn't want um, you know, Americans just uh, crossing over um, without being invited. Or, well, not just Americans for that matter, but anyone really. Um, I think the fact that North Korea sent King back through China and not across the border with the South as well, and uh, also that Sweden had to step in to facilitate the transfer, that also suggests that Pyongyang wasn't trying to use King to engage Washington um, and plus, on top of all of this, the U.S. said that they didn't have to make any concessions in securing King's return. Um, you know, maybe it's not clear what North, whether North Korea even asked for anything, but it, it pretty much suggests that um, North Korea wasn't really intending to use King as some kind of uh, bargaining ship or some kind of tool to, to draw Washington into talks to achieve some other objective. Well, then, finally, Mr. Kirk, looking beyond this incident, then, uh, where do you think we stand in U.S.-North Korea relations? Do you think the Biden administration uh, is looking to resume dialogue with North Korea on a more broader level? 
Well, I think uh, superficially, uh, they're always looking to review and renew dialogue. Uh, but I don't think that they're really doing it uh, uh, with the in- intensity or passion that would indicate uh, an immediate desire or even a even a desire during the re- the remainder of Mr. Biden's term uh, to, for dialogue. Mr. Biden has made pro forma statements saying they would welcome dialogue. Uh, North Korea has barely responded to these statements. Uh, they may have uh, rejected the whole idea. That This is not to say, however, that longer term, there will not be dialogue. We have a whole pattern going back historically of relations deteriorating almost to, well, deteriorating to crisis levels, and then suddenly uh, up comes uh, a plan for talks and for negotiations and and that kind of thing. So although I don't see any prospect in the the near term for dialogue, I wouldn't rule it out in the longer term. That's been the pattern of the the, uh, relationship going back many years. Mr. Fretwell, what do you think? What do you think are the prospects? How high up do you think North Korea is on uh, Biden's uh, agenda list? Uh, I would say that it's probably quite low on the Biden administration's agenda. Um, I would agree with Mr. Kirk there, though, about uh, that, you know, this, this historic pattern about um, North Korea going from tensions to talks. There definitely is this kind of uh, cycle that does repeat over the years. Um, so, yeah, at some point, it definitely is possible that uh, there will be talks with North Korea again. As it stands at the moment, though, um, you know, it's anyone's guess when these, when these talks might, might happen, especially um, taking into consideration that North Korea is really firmly aligning itself in, in the anti-America camp at the moment following Kim Jong-un's recent summits with um, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Um, you know, as it, as it stands right now, maybe, I mean, uh, maybe uh, substantial U.S.-North Korea dialogue might only resume if, if Donald Trump wins back the White House in, in 2024, you know. Um, whether this is a, a good thing or not depends on your personal point of view. Mm. Uh, it could be very awkward for uh, South Korean President Yoon Sog yeol in particular, uh, since he's built uh, a much more hardline policy toward North Korea than his predecessor, um, Moon Jae-in. So if suddenly there is this um, big, big movement from either North Korea or the U.S. to, to resume talks again. Um, I think, uh, yeah, South Korea is going to have to think, have a think as well about how it might want to prepare for that and um, how, it, how it would react and adopt and adjust its own North Korea policy um, in that scenario. Well, King's return to the U.S. brings to an end a peculiar chapter in U.S.-North Korea relations. Uh, Mr. Kirk, Mr. Fretwell, uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you for your time and sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 2.09 points, or 0.09% on Thursday, to close the day at 2,403.60. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, shedding 6.38 points, or 0.79%, to close at 801.02. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 13 won against the U.S. dollar, 
closing the day at 1,350.51. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segments where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, so we have with us in the studio our contributor Diane Yu. Diane, hello. It's uh, good to see you again. Hello, Dango. Yes, hope you had a good Chuseok break. You too. Yes, it's been a while, but let's get back into the swing of things. We start with news from the Hangzhou Asian Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we mentioned in our news briefing, the South Korean men's football team picked up a hard-fought win against Uzbekistan on Wednesday evening to punch their ticket to the final against Japan. Mm -hmm. But, unfortunately... It came at a cost, and it's been trending online, right? Right. The Taeguk Warriors, led by coach Hwang Sonong, defeated Uzbekistan 2-1 in the men's football semifinal held at Hualong Sports Center Stadium on Wednesday. This means that they are just one step away from winning Korea's third consecutive gold medal in men's football at the Asian Games. Following wins in the 2014 Incheon and 2018 Jakarta Palembang Asiads. However, Ulsan Hyundai FC attacker Wamon Sang could possibly make missed the final as he suffered an injury during the game. And it came during a brutal spell in the second half of the game when he fell victim to a couple of uh, vicious tackles, right? Right. Um, was taken off the field in the 20th minute of the second half. He could be seen limping following two tackles by Uzbekistan players within three minutes. It was also reported that the attacker was carried out after the game had finished, so it seems pretty serious. Following the win, Coach Huang said he will have to wait until closer to the final before making a decision on whether um, could make an appearance or not. Yes, this is quite a blow for the team and Coach Huang right. as he's an important part of the team's tactics. Mm-hmm. His speed causes a serious problems for opposing defenders. Right. Uh, he was also involved in the first goal of yesterday's game too, showing his worth once again. That's right. If Um can play, then a lot more pressure will rest on forward Chong Young's shoulders. Chong is currently the leading scorer in the competition with seven goals and is only two goals away from matching striker Hwang Ijo's record, who took the top scorer spot at the 2018 Jakarta Palembang Asian Games. Yes, obviously the best scenario is that Um is able to recover quickly before the upcoming match. Mm-hmm. But otherwise... Uh, Coach Wang is he's simply going to have to work around this loss. Right. The Taeguk Warriors have scored a total of 25 goals and have only conceded two in the past six games. So it seems like the team is solid in both attack and defense. So let's see if the players will be able to defend Korea's title in the Asian Games. Indeed. So the final will be held on Saturday night at 9pm Korean time. Right. Let's uh, move on to our next story. What do you have for us? The court's decision on the case of a Korean soldier who falsely reported that they were infected with COVID-19 to extend their vacation has come out. The Chuncheon District Court announced on Thursday that the 22-year-old soldier who was indicted on charges of a fraudulent scheme to avoid work and obstruction official, of official duties was given a suspended four-month sentence. Oh, wow. Okay. So that sounds like quite a situation. Can you tell us more about uh, what happened exactly? Mm -hmm. The naval soldier, only known as A, falsely reported their COVID-19 test results to an official, uh, to an officer in charge of personnel and administration via a messaging app at 10.18 p.m. on December 26 last year. They said that the rapid antigen test result came out positive and was able to get official sick leave the day before they were supposed to return to fulfill their duties. At that time, A obtained a photo of a positive COVID-19 self-test kit with 
two lines drawn from social media and pretended that it was a photo of their own test. Right, okay. But during that time, if someone uh, received a positive test from a rapid antigen test at home, Mm -hmm. they would have needed to take a PCR test as well, right, at a medical clinic to confirm the infection. Mm -hmm. So how were they able to get around that? Well, the next morning, they sent another message saying that a PCR test was completed. Then at 9.18 a.m. on the 28th, they sent a forged photo, making it look like they had received a text message from the Pyeongchang County Health and Medical Center showing a positive PCR test result. Wow. Okay, so they had to go through uh, quite a bit of effort to try and follow right. through on this lie then. And in the end, for uh, all for naught as well, mm. can you walk us through the judge's ruling then and the reason behind it? So it was ruled that A did not return to their unit by feigning illness for the purpose of avoiding work and at the same time interfering with the performance of military officials' duties related to service management under false pretenses. The judge said that the soldiers' actions were not something to be taken lightly. However, added that considering the fact that they were demoted to private for this incident and the fact that they are a young college student, the judge decided to suspend their sentence. Right, so no jail time, but it is on their record. Right. All this just to get a few extra days off. Incredible. Okay, let's move on to our final story of the day. What else do you have for us today? At this time of the year, there's an iconic event that is held in Seoul's Yeoido area called the Seoul International Fireworks Festival. It's an annual social contribution activity of the Hanwha Group, and this year, the festival is slated to be held at Yeoido Hangang Park on Saturday. It's believed that over one million people will go to watch the fireworks lighting up the sky. Yes, it's an amazing spectacle, one of the most popular public events in Seoul every year. Mm-hmm. It can be viewed from all around Yeoido area and even in other parts of Seoul as well. Yeah, It's a free event. But each year, the organizers give away free tickets to the best seats, right? Right. So, but I understand there's mm-hmm. been an issue with this this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many people want to get the ticket that secures the best view of the event. And they are willing to pay huge amounts of money to get them, even though they were distributed for free in the beginning. According to reports on th- Thursday, tickets to the fireworks festivals were sold at high prices on secondhand trading platforms. These tickets, which were distributed to employees and partners, were being resold for around 100,000 to 150,000 won each. That's roughly 74 and 111 US dollars. In some cases, two copies were sold for 500,000 won or 370 US dollars. Wow, that is incredible. Uh, As we've discussed on the show a few times in the past, this is part of a bigger issue of ticket scalping that occurs for uh, big events and concerts. That's correct. As consumers actively use secondhand trading platforms, the problem of reselling items obtained for free or at regular prices for a higher price uh, continues to persist. Incidents of concert tickets for famous singers being sold for a lot more than the regular price or those trying to purchase them being scammed have continued to occur and have become a social issue. Some say that ticket resales should be viewed as an act that disrupts the market and the original meeting of the festival. Yes, it's unfortunate that this is what we're focusing on rather than the event itself. Mm. But uh, in any case, the festival is taking place this Saturday and most people will be able to enjoy it without paying anything at all. Yes. Okay, that's all we have time for on today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.
It's once again time for Explore Korea. This is our weekly segment where we look to discover some of the cultural, historical, and travel highlights that the nation has to offer. And helping us do that uh, are our special contributors. This week is the turn of Hannah Roberts, our travel explorer. And she's here with us now. Hannah, hello. It's uh, great to see you again. It's good to see you too. Okay, so where are you taking us today? Today, I'm going to be taking us down south to the city of Gyeongju. It's a popular spot for people to visit when they're in Korea, so maybe listeners have heard of it before. Mm. Uh, but they are soon holding the annual Gyeongju Shilla Cultural Festival, which I thought would be fun to introduce for people who are visiting Gyeongju very soon. Okay, that sounds great. We're always up for a cultural festival here oh, yeah. on Korea 24. <laughs> uh, let's start with some of the important details to cover about the festival first. So when and where will it be taking place? The festival will be held in Gyeongju, like I said, mm-hmm. from Friday, October 13th to Sunday, October 15th. Uh, it's being hosted at several locations in the city, but mainly at Wuljongyo Bridge, uh, Bonghwangde Music Square, and Nenam intersection. But regardless of the specifics, Gyeongju is, you know, of course, the city best known for its rich historical Schiller heritage, mm. uh, which makes it, of course, the perfect backdrop for this festival. Okay, so it's taking place uh, next week, next weekend. Yes. Uh, great. What are some of the highlights of this year's festival then? Uh, so the festival is all about Schiller celebrating the Schiller dynasty's culture, mm. uh, but will tie in the culture of modern Gyeongju also. Uh, as well as traditional dance performances and reenactments, we can also expect street performances, music and dance busking shows, a hip hop concert, and a drone display. So it, it's technically a bunch of different festivals all put together around the same time as the big overarching Schiller Cultural Festival. Wow! So traditional and modern culture, yeah, it's all, all coming in there. together as well. Then, okay. <laughs> One of the most exciting events of the weekend uh, is the opening ceremony. Um, and that's being held on Friday the 13th at 7pm at the famous Wuljongyo Bridge. Uh, we'll be able to see a performance with uh, representations of Shilla soldiers uh, re-enacting their roles set to a backdrop of a uh, fire display and a drone show, so mm, apparently. Okay. Uh, the Silk Road Festa at Wonghwangde Music Square is one of the ongoing events of the festival, uh, running across all three days, uh, showcasing all sorts of different kinds of street performance artists from clowns to dancers and acrobatic artists to uh, traditional singers even okay and then for some people saturday night's Huarang hip hop festa will be a highlight of the event with musical performances from nine different artists uh, all in the hip hop genre uh, including the popular musician loko mm-hmm. And then all three days again, we'll see a night market held at Bonghwangde Square, where visitors will be able to shop and eat outside in the this cool mid-autumn weather that we've been enjoying these days. Indeed. Well, wow. It certainly sounds like there's something for everyone uh, to enjoy at is. this festival. <laughs> so how can we find out more information? For more information on event times, locations and uh, the schedules of, of everything, you can visit www.kyeongju, that's G-Y-E-O-N-G-J-U, dot G-O dot K-R forward slash Shilla, S-I-L-L-A, festival. Uh, the website is all in Korean. So for anyone who doesn't speak Korean uh, and who has a translation function installed on your web browser, it does work. I have checked. Okay, that's good to <laughs> so know. So you can read everything easily.
That's good to know. We'll get a Korean friend as yes, well. That's on the way as well. Uh, in the meantime, I heard there's actually something even sooner that people might like to attend in Gyeongju as well. Yeah, so I mentioned already that it's kind of a bunch of small festivals all put together under this overarching one. Uh, so one of the connected festivals is happening this weekend, actually, uh, starting tomorrow and ending on Sunday. It's the Shilla Arts Festival being organised by the Korea Arts Association. There will be a performance of a musical featuring kind of the stories of local historical figures uh, with a ceremony of hundreds of traditional pungmu, which are folk musicians, uh, ringing in uh, like ringing in the the event with a pre-ceremony for the big show uh, with lots of drumming, dancing and singing. That's what uh, Pungmu entails. Mm. Uh, There will also be a Gyeongju-focused art exhibition as part of which the Photographers Association will be displaying a selection of photos to celebrate the Schiller Cultural Festival's uh, 50th anniversary. Uh, Visitors will be able to see the memories of the festival across the last half decade Half decade, half century. (laughs) (laughs) Even, yes. As well as uh, being able to see photos of Gyeongju throughout the years. Yes, so the arts, historical reenactments, drone shows, hip-hop shows. Oh, yeah, it's all going on. It sounds like uh, it's going to, yes, as you said, all going on. It sounds (laughs) great. Uh, But it's especially great because Gyeongju really is a city with a lot of history, as you mentioned earlier. Some great places to visit as well. So if we do find ourselves in Gyeongju, even if it's not uh, this week or next, Mm. uh, what else do you recommend there? Because you can't just go there for the festival, right? Yeah, that's right. There is so much to do in Gyeongju. In fact, it's one of my favourite weekend trips that I've done from Seoul to Mm. date. Uh, And that is because it has so much to do. And it has so much to do in such a small, walkable area. Mm. Uh, One of my biggest recommendations, I have a little route, I guess, I'd like to recommend. um, And that's to take a walk through the city's eastern historical site. Uh, It's like a park. Mm. Um, Besides being covered in uh, the beautiful pink muli grass, which is about to bloom. It will be soon in bloom at this time of year. Right. Uh, It's home to the famous historical site Chomsongde which is the oldest astronomical observational tower in the whole of Asia. Mm. On the other side of the park is the Gyochon traditional village where people can see Hanok buildings. You can try wearing Shilla Dynasty style hanbok that you can't find in Seoul, actually. Mm. And you can sit for a tea or coffee in one of the traditional tea houses. It's besides the village also that you can visit the a very impressive Wuljongyo Bridge, which is featuring as part of the festival. Uh, it is unfortunately a reconstruction. Uh, the original was burnt down during the Joseon dynasty, but it's now the largest wooden bridge in Korea and visitors are allowed to walk across it as well as climb up into the towers on either end where you can learn more about the structure and its history. Right. And then just a short distance from there, you can find the incredible Gyeongju National Museum, uh, which houses some of the most famous historical artefacts, not only from the Schiller period, but from the whole of Korea's history, I would I would say, mm. uh, including the very famous golden Schiller crowns and a very endearing smiling roof tile that uh, can be seen in common <laughs> <laughs> Korean history related imagery and merchandise sold in souvenir stores across the country. Right. Um, I could go on and on about Gyeongju. I love it so much. Uh, there are incredible royal tombs you can't miss, as well as an amazing mountain temple and Buddhist grotto overlooking the sea. Uh, and then, of course, the beautiful Anapji or Wolji Pond. Uh, but that's, you know, what I just said was one small course that I like to recommend to people visiting Gyeongju, especially for the first time and especially if you're on a budget because it's all free. 
Wow. Well, you rattled off so much. Yeah, I know. There. Sorry. <laughs> so it clearly, it seems you have a lot of affection for this city. Yeah. And it sounds like there's plenty to do and explore mm-hmm. as well. So even if it's not for this festival, it is a place place definitely worth visiting. Mm-hmm. Finally, let's talk logistics. How can we best get to Gyeongju? Gyeongju is really easily accessible from most parts of the country.、Mm. Uh, a high-speed KTX train ride from Seoul takes just two hours, and from Busan, it's only thirty minutes. So、uh, nice and easy. The city is a thirty-minute bus、uh, from the train station, or slightly shorter if you're driving yourself, or maybe taking a taxi. Right. And、uh, the city itself, or the the tourist parts, the parts that people want to visit, can be easily travelled around by bus or taxi, or even on foot if you're able to. Great. That's where we're going to leave it for our explore career this week, Hannah. Thank you for、uh, that recommendation, and、uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. See you soon. This is Broadway at Tohang Jimin. Now you're listening to KBS World Radio. We've come now to Morning Edition preview, our closing segment, to where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, we have the return of <laughs> Richard Larkin, our staff editor. Richard, hello. It's、uh, great to see you again. Hello. It's good to be back. Yes, it's been a long while, but of、It、course、has. we did hear your voice on those special segments we had during Multicultural Week,、right. Rich's Career Manual. <laughs> They were great segments, by the way, and I think our、Thank、listeners、you. will have、uh, really enjoyed them as well. I hope. I, I hope it was useful for them. Indeed, I think it was. It was really great.、Uh, but we have you back in your usual seat now, and it's、yes. uh, great to have you back. So, what do you have for us first today? So Hangul Day is a national holiday that will take place on Monday. It's a holiday that commemorates the Korean alphabet, which was created by Kim Sejong the Great and was made the official writing system of Korea in 1446.、Mm. Ahead of the important day, reprints of two documents created in the 15th century to introduce the writing system were unveiled in Seoul on Thursday. That's what Hwang Dong-hee's article in the Weekend section of the Korea Herald is about. Okay, so tell us some more about these documents. They documents then were they created by Kim、uh, King Sejong himself? Well, the first document that these names are a little hard for me, so give me give me a chance. Hun Ming Jung Um Hyere was created by Kim Sejong and eight scholars.、Mm-hmm. The other Hun Ming Jung Um Unhe is a thirty-page version of the first document that came out during Kim Sejong's reign. Right. This is actually the first time that、uh, Hun Ming Jung. Here was reprinted, while it's the second time for the shorter version. The history of these documents is really interesting. The article has a lot of information about them. Apparently, the first document was missing for nearly five hundred years. Wow! So then, when was it found? In 1940, a wealthy collector paid a huge sum, equivalent to the price of a dozen houses, for the document. Since then, it has been kept away, kind of away from the public for conservation and because of security reasons. I believe it was unveiled to the public a few times over the over the period.、Mm. Uh, Unne, on the other hand, has a very different history. The article mentions that there are several versions of this document that were created over different time periods, but the one that was used for reprint in this time came from the period when Kim Sejong was ruler. The thirty-page document was published in Korean to help the general public because the original document was written in Hanja, the traditional Chinese characters. So yeah, the article has more information about these documents and its history. I thought it was an interesting read. 
Indeed. So check out tomorrow's Career Herald for more. Uh, let's move on. What's the next article you found in tomorrow's newspapers? Well, this one's for fans of photography. I'm sure many of our listeners will know, but Los Angeles in the US has a huge Korean community. Possibly the biggest in the country. Well, Kang Hyung Kyung's article in the national section of the Korea Times is about a project which shows what LA's Korea Town looked like during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Yes, I'm sure this region would have been uh, very hit hard by the pandemic. Mm. Can you tell us more about this project? Sure. Documentary photographer and director Emmanuel Han spent over a year in LA's Korea Town from 2020 to photograph and talk to the people working there during the pandemic. There are many Korean immigrants running small businesses there, so it was a difficult period for them. While many businesses closed due to lockdowns and restrictions, many vendors stayed open and tried to carry on and just hang in there. Actually, we spoke to Emmanuel Han mm. almost more than two years ago now, actually, mm. uh, about this exact project oh, really? so yes it's interesting <laughs> that you brought this for us uh today it was a, a fascinating project that he introduced uh he was still uh producing it at the time but it looks like it's now finally coming out this photo book right then. uh yes it's really interesting uh we were talking about how some of the vendors especially the older ones uh of course they're no strangers to adversity in the right. 90s LA's Korea town was torn up essentially during the LA riots. Right. Han said that the Korean immigrants had developed an inner strength to survive the pandemic through the toughest challenges in their lives, the riots. The photographs and interviews will finally be published on October 17th in a photo book called Korea Town Dreaming Stories and Portraits of Korean Immigrant Life. If you want to see some of the pictures from the photo book or find out what some of the vendors had said, then you can read tomorrow's article. Yes. Uh, and hopefully our listeners can listen back to that show as well. It's more mm. than two years ago now, though. But uh, it's great to see uh, that this project has come to life now in this photo book. Mm. OK, that's where we're going to wrap it up for Morning Edition Preview. Richard, it's good to have you back and uh, we'll see you again next time. See you next time. And that's all from us here at Korea 24 for today. We'll be back tomorrow with more news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a wonderful day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. World Radio. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in the case of an earthquake. During an earthquake, you're advised to stay indoors. Going outside could be extremely dangerous, as you could be hit by shattering windows or falling signs. While indoors, turn the gas off and go under a table or desk to protect your head. Refrain from using gas or electricity until after it is confirmed to be safe. If you're in an elevator, promptly get off and seek shelter. If you're on the street, cover your head with your hands or bags and stay away from brick walls and gates. If you're driving, stop your car on the right side of the road. Before seeking shelter, close your car windows and leave your keys in the ignition, then get out of your vehicle. 
once the ground stops shaking, request help for the injured, while remaining mindful of possible aftershocks. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures. The people I love by Chong Ho Sung. 나는 그늘이 없는 사람을 사랑하지 않는다. 나는 그늘을 사랑하지 않는 사람을 사랑하지 않는다. 나는 한 그루 나무의 그늘이 된 사람을 사랑한다. I do not love people who have no shadows. I do not love people who do not love shadows. I love people who have become the shade beneath a tree. 햇빛도 그늘이 있어야 맑고 눈이 부시다. 나무 그늘에 앉아 나뭇잎 사이로 반짝이는 햇살을 바라보면 세상은 그 얼마나 아름다운가. Sunlight too needs shade to shine bright and dazzle the eyes. Sitting in the shade of a tree and watching the sunlight sparkling between the leaves, how beautiful the world is then. 눈물이 없는 사람을 사랑하지 않는다. 나는 눈물을 사랑하지 않는 사람을 사랑하지 않는다. 나는 한 방울 눈물이 든 사람을 사랑한다. I do not love people who have no tears. I do not love people who do not love tears. I love people who have become one teardrop. 기쁨도 눈물이 없으면 기쁨이 아니다. 사랑도 눈물 없는 사랑이 어디 있는가? 나무 그늘에 앉아 다른 사람의 눈물을 닦아주는 사람의 모습은 그 얼마나 고요한 아름다움인가. Joy too is no joy without tears. And is there ever love without tears? The sight of someone sitting in the shade of a tree wiping away another's tears. What serene beauty that is. You've listened to Korean poet Jung Ho Sung's Nega Sarang Hanun Saram, The People I Love, read by An Jae Woo and translated by Brother Anthony of Taze and Sun Jae. KBS World Radio brings the beauty of Korean poetry to the world. <laughs>